This episode of Remnant Radio is brought to you in part by our sponsors at Kairos Classrooms. Have you ever thought about learning a biblical language as a supplemental tool in your biblical studies? Well, Kairos Classrooms offers real classroom environments with with classmates and a live instructor who can help teach you biblical languages, both Greek and Hebrew. You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. Uh, The price for a single semester is crazy affordable for anyone, so check out the links in the description and use promo code REMNANT to get 10% off Kairos Classrooms. Check out Kairos Classrooms today. Discount code R-E-M-N-A-N-T, REMNANT, to get 10% off your semester. Josh and I. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Wonderful World of Remnant Radio. We've got an exciting program for you today. Uh, We're going to be talking about the cluster argument of cessation. They're having like a serious conversation about fly fishing. I was like, no, we're done with that. Uh, Guys, we are jumping into it. It's going to be an exciting program. You stay tuned. Stay tuned. Stay classy. Come on, Josh. Push the button. It's not. (laughs) We're not doing the thing. You are watching The Remnant Radio, a show where we tackle history, theology, and the gifts of the Spirit. My name is Joshua Lewis. I'm the pastor of King's Fellowship in Ada, Oklahoma, together with my friends Michael Miller at Reclamation Church Denver and Michael Roundtree at Bridgeway Church OKC. We set aside time every week to discuss the gifts of the Spirit. Things like, how should we pray for the sick? And and how do we interpret tongues? And should we believe all the prophetic words for the new year? If you're looking for a charismatic podcast with practitioners who are actually doing the stuff, this is the show for you. Guys, we've got a really cool episode for you today. We are going to be discussing what is called the cluster argument. It's the idea that uh, throughout certain points of redemptive history, the supernatural miracles and gifts were clustered around specific points in time that were designed to draw our attention to the speaker so that they could give specific revelation to establish God's law and rule in the earth. Those specific periods would be Moses and Joshua, Elijah, Elisha, and Jesus and the disciples or the apostles of Jesus Christ. So uh, those three things is what we're going to be reviewing today. We're going to review a quote from John MacArthur, a quote from uh, uh, Tom Schreiner, uh, respected uh, respected cessationist scholars, and we're going to be responding from a charismatic perspective saying, uh, these are just not good arguments to say that these were the periods of time that these miraculous gifts were clustered together and and isolated in these moments because we just we just don't see that in scripture. So we're going to be tackling that today. But before we dive in, we want to remind you that Remnant Radio is entirely crowdfunded. Uh, we want to encourage you to jump onto uh, the, the the video link description uh, right after this video. Click the one-time link for PayPal if you want to give a donation, or you can give on Patreon as low as five bucks a month. You'll get access to extra content. If you're like, hey, I can't afford that. I would love to get one of those videos that you mentioned. Just let me know what video you're interested in. And I'll send it to you for free. Uh, without further ado, let me introduce you to the fellas, uh, Michael where, where, you're not in a basement. I can see sunlight. Where are you? Oh, wow. Yeah, you know, I got out for the, uh, the week. We were in Aspen, Colorado. Uh, my kids are doing the vacation Bible school at my oversight church out here. And uh, I'm spending the day fly fishing. So, yeah, that's what we were talking about, Josh. When you say, when you say oversight church, are they overseeing your restoration process? Like, what do you mean <laughs> oversight yes. church? Yes. Well, you do know I was fired from a church, right, Josh? <laughs> Too soon. Too soon. No, uh, you, went, you went to plant a church and they are participating until you get your elders all established. They're kind of functioning as oversight until you kind of, you know, fully launch. Yeah, yeah. So right? until until we have a, uh, a plurality of elders, which would probably consist at minimum of three elders, uh, they would be in oversight of us. So if there's any accountability so, issues any doctrinal issues, they would be on top of that. And so 
we're actually getting kind of close to that point. We've got two elders now and one in the, the in the in the queue, so to speak, in the pipeline, trained up and raised up. Right. Cool. So very exciting. Yeah, super cool. Uh, Roundtree, how are you doing over there in the Oklahomas? Uh, doing good. I just really feel happy right now for Miller to get out of the basement. It's just like, <laughs> to, to see sunlight and be in a beautiful place like Aspen, man. Uh, really God happy. That is a deliverer. You. He delivers, Michael. He's delivered <laughs> me. Things from like it actually would make me fish. laugh if if you were filming from a basement in Aspen. Like even when you travel, <laughs> you stay in a basement. <laughs> even better. Uh, I actually I I am sleeping in the basement, believe it or not. <laughs> yes. I buy it. I you buy literally, it. guys, y'all should know that when Miller goes it out in public. It has a very small if, window. <laughs> when when Miller goes out in public, if he happens to see somebody who has seen Remnant Radio before they're like basement boy you're basement boy so <laughs> that's uh, the name is stuck um, i think it's so funny because they're like man, uh, no i'm, I'm like, glad a second you're remnant radio guy and they go up to miller and they're like you're basement boy that's hilarious <laughs> Dude, we were, i was at uh who was i, I was at princeton or yale or something i was doing some ministry with jack oh, and one of the guys yeah hmm. no no it was jack who was there <laughs> it was me just you know sidekicking it but uh some guy goes uh, I didn't know you were going to be here. You're basement boy. <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> so good. It's the best. Oh, man. Well, talking a little bit about the cluster argument. And, man, I'll be, I'll be honest. So, Miller, we've thrown some shade your way. But, uh, actually, I, I want to say this in a more positive manner. Um, last episode, Miller said that sis- – I, I was trying to be nice to cessationists and I still want to be nice to cessationists because I care a whole lot about unity. Jesus cares a lot about unity and, uh, and I definitely want to honor them. And most of my like best Christian authors, honestly, are cessationists or at least many of them. And so, uh, man, I, I love my cessationist brothers and sisters, but Miller, you made a point that I just think there has to be this tension where we can, we can be nice and love and we can also speak the truth. And what you said on the last episode was you, you saw me trying to be nice and you said, Michael, I'm going to take it a bit further and be blunt here. Cessationism. And if you're listening, you don't know what that is. The, the doctrine that certain gifts of the Holy Spirit have ceased, such as healing, tongues, prophecy, etc. cetera. Uh, but you said cessationism is Mark chapter, I can't remember if it was six or seven, I think seven. Uh, Mark chapter seven, elevating the traditions of man above the word of God. And man, I I just thought about that. And these arguments, they're honestly, they're so, I don't know a better way to say it than weak. Um, they're so utterly weak. And the arguments for continuationism are so utterly strong. I can't come to any other conclusion. And, and I just want to leave that out there. Cessationism actually does elevate. I say it with all love to my cessationist brothers and sisters. I look forward to worshiping Jesus with you in eternity. But you are on this issue, elevating the traditions of man above the word of God. And uh, so we're going to talk about one of those cases today with the cluster argument. Miller, do you want to uh, respond to that? Or, uh, yeah. Into this? Yeah, I'm not trying to be like overly insulting by saying that. It's just when you think about what nullifies the word of God, when you think about the fact that let's take the cluster argument that we're going to get into today, which is a total cluster pun intended. Uh, <laughs> it is such a weak argument that you're like, guys, you're really clutching at straws here. Like this is a, a house of cards. And, and yet they so 
I mean, in the video we watched, they were so demeaning and condescending. Like, can't we just put this behind us? And I'm going, there's not an era in scripture where God's not doing the miraculous. And when it comes to the reason why he did the miraculous and through human agency, there are a multitude of reasons. And all of those reasons would still be reasons for them to be happening today. Right. And so it's, it's like a, it's, it's like an intentional ignorance where they just don't care to hear anything other than the position they have. Uh, and they're clutching at straws to hang on to a position that is quite literally nullifying the word of God. Uh, and when I think of nullifying the word of God, specifically when we're told to pursue earnestly spiritual gifts, or we're told that the the new age of the spirit, according to Joel 2, is one where the people of God are marked by the spirit of God, which the overwhelming result will be prophecy. Um, you have to be intentionally ignorant to deny that that's not to be normative. Um, it just doesn't make I, sense. I read this quote. Those... Oh, go ahead. Uh, I read this quote this week. This was by Francis Chan in his book, Until Unity. Uh, he's supposed to be on our show pretty soon, so I was reading up. And he's, he's giving examples of how he used to do this because he used to be a cessationist. And then he, he was giving an example. He says, for example, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 39, brothers earnestly desire prophecy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. I now understand why charismatics interpret this to mean that we should desire prophecy and not forbid tongues. That's what we're talking about. I mean, it's just <laughs> like he literally just, now he understand just like repeated the verse. Why people interpret can, the Bible. Here, at here's face what I value. love about here's yeah. what I love about continuationism. You can be a continuationist by just believing what the Bible says. Yeah, like crazy. like really, really directly what the Bible says. Like First Corinthians fourteen thirty nine, just quoted right there. I believe First Corinthians fourteen thirty nine. Therefore, I'm a continuationist. The cessation has to say, well, what it really means is blah blah blah. Okay, Josh, what were you going to say? And, yeah, I was going to say there, this is one argument of cessationism. So if you've come to the table for the first time, whether you're a charismatic or a cessationist, uh, you're maybe not be familiar with all the various arguments. So the idea that the gifts have ceased, there are going to be different articulations of that. People are going to come at that from different angles. Some of them are going to come at it from Ephesians 2.20. They're not even going to address the cluster argument. They're going to be like, that's not a good argument. I'm not holding that. Others are going to hold to the time stamping of like, well, when the perfect comes, and I think this is the perfect, and others are going to hold to the cluster argument. Others are going to hold to the cascade argument. They're going to hold to different parts of these you know, cessationist arguments. We're only addressing one of those today. So if you're a cessationist, or let's say you're a continuationist maybe, and you're watching this video, and you're like, I've got a cessationist friend. I'm going to go decimate them. Because if you watch this video, you, for all intents and purposes, probably could go and decimate someone who holds the cluster argument. Because it's just not a good argument, and it's, it, it's not hard to learn the response to this argument. So um, you might think, oh, I'm going to go, but you might go and they're not even holding this argument. They're holding to three others. So uh, I would encourage you maybe go watch our last two videos where we were responding to Ligonier Ministries, uh, Steve Nichols and Steve Lawson and those guys over there. Uh, and we just kind of gave some careful responses. They touched on a lot of different cessationist arguments and we quickly responded to those. But we also have an entire playlist full of content where we're going to address those other things. So just a heads up, this is not the foundation for all cessationism. This isn't like the silver bullet that will destroy all cessationists. This is just one of many uh, exegetical, I, I say that, eisegetical arguments uh, that we're going to kind of dismantle for the sake of this discussion. And uh, anyway, uh, Roundtree or, or Miller, Miller. What's up? Oh, I was just going to say, you know, we always say that the greatest argument against the gifts of the Spirit continuing are bad practicing charismatics. The greatest argument against cessationism 
is constant eisegesis from Amen. <laughs> yeah, just read their yeah. arguments carefully. It'll it'll push you to our side. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Okay, well let's uh, let's go with this one from Johnny Mac. John MacArthur uh, writes this in his book Charismatic Chaos. He says most biblical miracles happened in three relatively brief periods of Bible history. You got the days of Moses and Joshua, the ministries of Elijah and Elisha, and the time of Christ and the apostles. Aside from these three intervals, the only supernatural events, the only supernatural events recorded in scripture were isolated incidents. In the days of Isaiah, for example, the Lord supernaturally defeated, defeated Sennacherib's army, then healed Hezekiah, and in the days of Daniel, preserved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. For the most part, however, supernatural events like those did not characterize God's dealing with his people. Miracles introduced new areas of revelation. That's a big key that you often hear from cessationists, that it's always associated with revelation, uh, basically biblical revelation. He goes on. All three periods of miracles were times when God gave written revelation. There it is, scripture, in substantial quality quantities. Those doing the miracles were essentially the same ones heralding an era of revelation. Moses wrote the first five books of scripture. Elijah and Elisha introduced the prophetic age. Okay. Um, <laughs> that's a long true. age, by the way. Um, the apostles wrote nearly all of the New Testament. Okay. Um, that, now, that's John MacArthur's the cessationists mostly kind of like realized it was a really bad argument because miracles fill all kinds of periods beyond just what they said. And also, you know, like I just noted for <laughs> Elisha and Elijah, by the way, wrote no scripture. So how do their miracles attest to their, uh, that they launched a new age of prophetic revelation, an age that extended from Elijah to Zechariah? I don't know. Someone do the math for me. That's hundreds yeah, Jack, of years. Jack argues that Samuel is actually the one, like it's not even a true statement. He argues that Samuel was the one who launched the prophetic age because the word of the Lord was sparse in that time. Here comes Samuel. Here comes the school of prophets. And then boom, like that 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 launches oh. the king's office in the, the participation of kings and prophets kind of collaborating together. Yeah. But you know, Josh, you just mentioned First Samuel, I think it's 3.1, that the word of God was, you said, sparse or rare in those times. And so in First Samuel 3.1, uh, notice that Samuel wasn't a cessationist. He didn't say, man, I'm not seeing any miracles. God must have stopped. And so there were actually no cessationists throughout the whole Old Testament. And yet John MacArthur and cessationists who hold to the cluster argument would say, well, because I don't see very many miracles happening. It seems like they mostly happen then. God must have stopped. This is actually sanctifying and baptizing your unbelief. Samuel and people in the Old Testament, they didn't come to the conclusion that because I don't see as much, he's not just he's just not doing as much. In fact, we'll quote m multiple scriptures that they came to different conclusions, but I don't want to get ahead of yeah. myself here. Yeah, let me let me uh, toss it over for a point of discussion when it comes to this subject for you guys. Uh, you know, let's let's concede the point for a moment. Let's pretend that there were only three periods of time that there were miracles that were clustered together, and there weren't other miracles at other points in times. It seems as if MacArthur is running to an interpretation that favors cessationism. He's running to an interpretation that says, "Well, we know this to be true because you know Scripture was being given at those times." Even though there's not a biblical text of scripture that states that, he's again eisegeting a favorable cessationist interpretation into those moments. Could you guys maybe give me, off the top of your head, 
um, some reason why miracles might not be happening in certain season of the covenant community's life, both in Old or New Testament. Reasons why there might not be supernatural miracles. What would you guys say? Miller, you go first. Yeah, well, the only reason I can think of is as a sign of judgment to Israel, that they were to be a prophetic people, that they, it was supposed to be a sign to the other nations in some level. And so when, you know, one of the reasons, one of the complaints of the other nations is they have prophets that know the plans that we make in the king's chambers. And so when Israel doesn't know these kinds of things, it's because Israel must be apostate. Um, and I think we've got some Psalms that show that, that we've got in the show notes here. What is this? Uh, Psalm 74, 9 through 11. We do not see our signs. There is no longer any prophet and there is none among us who knows how long. How long, O oh God, is the foe to scoff? Is the enemy to revile your name forever? Why do you hold back your hand, your right hand? Take it from the fold of your garment and destroy them. Which is kind of a fascinating passage because the implication is uh, the, the reason the psalmist is saying these things is because that's not normal. What is normal is for them to have prophets. What is normal is for God to be elevated because Yahweh is showing himself supreme and, and sovereign over the gods of the other nations. And so them having revelation from their God, unlike the silence from Baal or Malak or Asheroth of the other nations, it is again yeah. meant to show the glory Here, and greatness of Yahweh over the other gods. But here's, here's what kind of blows my mind. If John MacArthur was that psalmist, he would have he would have said, "Well, it's because doctrinally I believe that God stopped doing the stuff." That's not what the psalmist says. Right. The psalmist doesn't say, "Wow, I'm not seeing miracles and signs and wonders, therefore he just doesn't do them anymore." No, he actually issued, this is part of a lament song. He's saying, "How long?" Rather than baptizing his unbelief and creating a cessationist doctrine out of it, he goes to God and says, how long? I would love to see John MacArthur saying, oh God, how long? Like a cessationist, if you want to say, oh, there just aren't enough miracles, or they're not of the quality of the New Testament, go to God and say, how long? Don't make a doctrine out of God doesn't do stuff. That Just don't do that. Uh, so that's a, one of the Psalms. And then here's another one, Psalm 77, uh, another lament Psalm. Uh, he says this, uh, after saying, has God, for, uh, starting in verse nine, has God forgotten to be uh, gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to the years of the right hand of the most high. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder your work. I will meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. And uh, and go on, so on. And then he finished verse 14. You are a God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. So the, the psalmist doesn't conclude that God doesn't normally do these or doesn't do these things anymore because of his experience. Instead, he calls it to mind and says, as a way of saying, do it again. Come back, God. Don't let me stay in this state. I want to appeal to cessationists and functional cessationists who are open but cautious. If you're not seeing the stuff, hit your knees. How, how many yeah, times have you good. prayed and fasted? I'm telling you, Michael Miller, uh, when he started believing, and he, Michael, you had that revelation out of John 9. You're like, oh, my God. And you've told yeah. that story in the episode before. Michael travailed in prayer to see God perform miracles until Buddy, it happened. I'm still praying. <laughs> I like and, you're, and you're literally, still praying. Yeah. I, I oh, went man, over my I, prayer list this morning. Yeah. 
for God's healing and revealing power. And I'm, I have yeah, blindness. Too. I want to see blindness healed. I want to see deafness healed. Miller, you prayed and prayed and prayed for deafness to be healed for years, crying out to God. And then you started to, you saw it your first time. And I was with you and the ear. So we saw it and the ear popped. Woman starts running around. My, I can hear, I can hear, I can hear. And now you've seen a lot of deaf ears open. So my, I've seen a my lot problem of it, yeah. is cessationism says, well, God's not doing it now. Therefore, he doesn't do it ever. Or he does it almost never. Or he does it super rarely. And that's not the attitude of the psalmist. The psalmists, if they thought like cessationists, would have turned it into a doctrine. And we wouldn't have even had these lament psalms. They would have just said, God doesn't do stuff, but praise God, I don't need it. I don't. Well, that's not well, yeah. what about this verse here in in, in Micah? We've we've brought up this verse a couple of times at different times when we're kind of, frankly, rebuking the hyper charismatic. We prophesy everything and nothing ever comes to pass. We come to this passage in Micah chapter three, five through eight. Um, and and by the way, I want to remind our audience what time is this taking place? Is actually taking place after Moses and Elijah, uh, uh, after Joshua and Elisha, right? Uh, before Jesus and the apostles come. So this is in, outside of the. The, the, the cluster that MacArthur says these miracles are taking place and, and Micah explains why they're not seeing prophecy, why they're not seeing supernatural stuff. He says, thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who led the people astray, who cry peace when there is uh, something to eat and declare war against him who puts nothing in their mouths. Therefore, I sh it shall be night to you without vision and, and darkness to you without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets and the day shall be dark over them. The seers shall be disgraced and the diviners put to shame. Uh, they shall all uh, cover their lips for there is no answer from God. But as for me, wait, 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 wait. So you, they're not going to see anything from God. God's not going to speak to them. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord and justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. So when you have an apostate people who are walking away from God, who are prophesying falsely, who, who are seeking after other things and not the God of the creator of the universe, God shuts darkness over them. He does not give them power. He does not give them revelation. He shuts them up into darkness. So, so the, the biblical author here is saying the reason that there is silence from God right now has nothing to do uh, with the fact that God's not speaking. It has to do with the fact that God has no friends, right? Amos 3, 7, God does nothing in the earth without first revealing it to his servants, the prophets. So what happens if there's no servants in the earth? God according to Malachi here, is not sharing things with his people. So I think that, you know, you look at these verses, you look at Jesus when he's in his hometown, he couldn't do many miracles there. Why is it that he couldn't do many miracles there? It was because of their unbelief, right? So, so in all of these accounts, you have unfaithful Israel, unbelieving Israel, sinful Israel, refusing and resisting the work of God. And that's why the Bible seems to suggest that there are periods of time where there are not supernatural activity in the church. So so to suggest that there might be seasons, if we were even to accept the idea that there were seasons where there weren't supernatural activity, which by the way, I think we all reject, if there were seasons where there was no supernatural activity, would it not be more biblical to take biblical examples of why there would be a lack of power? Uh, why why are we importing a, a, an idea that is foreign to the text of Scripture? Nowhere in the Bible does it say revelation, power, uh, supernatural activity is being given for the writing of Scripture or for the revelation and the guidance of the church. It, nowhere in the Bible does it say that. These are imported theological ideas that are brought into the, the cluster argument. And I think we should right. reject entirely.
Yeah. Well, it's a theme over and over. So we've quoted Psalm 74. We quoted Psalm 77. Uh, you you quoted Micah. I forgot which chapter. Um, Micah 3. And then here's, here's New Testament. Mark chapter 6, uh, verses 3 to 6. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown and among his relatives in his own household. He could not do uh, many. Now, I want to just read this again. He could not do mighty works there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. He went about among the villages teaching. Okay, so we had these Psalms. We have Micah. uh, We have Mark 6. And we have 1 Samuel 3, 1, all making the point that unbelief, sin, rebellion these explain a lack of miracle working power no doctrine that says god doesn't work anymore again there were no cessationists in the old testament and uh and so uh we have these reasons repeatedly throughout the scripture and i would just say to cessationists what scripture do you have that says this is actually why all you have is your inference that you made up we have actual bible verses that doesn't mean and i I see someone in the chat like you guys I uh, think you're spiritually superior to John MacArthur or to anyone else. No, we don't. We it's don't foolish. think that. We're, it's foolishness. I, I know uh, Josh has mad respect for John MacArthur. I have maybe, <laughs> I, I respect his Bible teaching uh, in some areas, <laughs> not this area. Guys, uh, and, and we're, when I, I, when I, I don't respect like John... John MacArthur. I'll be honest with you. I don't like John MacArthur's mean spirit. And I, sure. I'm not a big fan of... Uh, you know, I'm not an investigative journalist, but it just doesn't look very good from the abuse perspective and what's going on there. Uh, yeah. That's not what this show's about. I'm not trying to go there. I'm just simply saying um, that this is this is not about like we need to be able to say these are really, really, really exceedingly weak biblical arguments. While at the same time, not saying, hey, I hate you or I'm better than you. Like how else? I don't know how else to do it. But uh, no, we're going to be strong be fair, on this. Our arguments are yeah. better than their arguments. I do believe they that. are. But I don't think we are better people than they. Like if you had me on CNN, I don't know that I could have faithfully defended the gospel under the assault of like three or four of my peers who were like violently going after me theologically. He kept his cool. He was faithful. He rebuked sin. I mean, he just he nailed it. He like home run after home run after home run. Larry King, CNN, hostile audience, and he defends truth. Every they stopped inviting him because he kept just shutting the, the, the mouths of idiots. Like I, so, I when I ha- when I say I have respect for John MacArthur, it is in regard to the defense of of Jesus of of saving faith, and and I'm thankful that he's done that frequently. Go, go ahead, Miller. Sorry. Well, I just I, I'm honestly not a huge fan, but that's because again I think he's incredibly disingenuous when it comes to the miraculous. Uh, and gifts of the spirit being for today. I think he's dishonest with the scriptures. I think he nullifies the word of God by his tradition. Uh, and he is guilty of those things. That's me calling him out on sin. Uh, that's what I would sure. say it is. Uh, unrepentant sin, albeit. Yeah. And then lastly, he, he talks about charismatics as though they're not his brothers and sisters in Christ. He does. And, and that to me is incredibly, that's uh, a grievous error uh, and, and causes disunity. So, when it comes to like, I respect certain displays that he has with Larry, you know, sure, Larry King. Outside of that, I'm I'm not a huge fan of him, and these are reasons why, and these are good these question. are good reasons to not be a fan of somebody and not follow them yeah. when they cause disunity. 
Can I give one last verse? We, we talked about Psalms. We talked about, you know, use a verse in Malachi. We went to the New Testament. Here's a verse in Jeremiah that talks about throughout time, not just in specific periods, but like throughout all ages, if you will. Jeremiah 30, verse 20. I feel like this should be the silver bullet for the cascade argument once and for all. If you need one Bible verse, you can't memorize all these. Just, just get Jeremiah 30, verse 20 under your belt. You have shown signs and wonders in the land of Egypt and to this day in Israel and among all mankind and have made a name for yourself uh, as at this day. So Jeremiah, a prophet, not living in the time of Moses and Joshua, not in Elijah or Elisha, and certainly not with Jesus and the apostles. He's not within those clusters. He is saying from the moment of Moses to today, you have done signs and wonders. So throughout the periods of history, and even in the very days of Jeremiah, the arguments that these took place in clusters, that verse directly contradicts. But not only does that verse, guys, we could go through a litany of verses. So Okay, bef- there was there miracles before Moses. How do we do this, guys? Do you, do we just do we rattle off this list? Like, I mean, there's got to. I, I think so. I don't want to go through be 30 every verses. single one. Yeah, just just go and do it, Josh. Just hit major key points. The creation uh, of the ones. earth, right? The rapture of Enoch, Noah's flood, the confusion of man's languages, the Tower of Babel, uh, the, the supernatural call of Abraham, the plague of Pharaoh's house, Abraham's trance. I mean, these are all. In Genesis, Genesis, you can't tell. Uh, the angel of the Lord appears to Hagar. The Lord appears to Abraham. The Lord appears uh, to Abraham and eats with him. Uh, the angel uh, blinds the men of Sodom. The Lord destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot's wife is turned to a pillar of salt. Uh, God uh, uh, warns Abimelech in a dream not to touch Sarah. Sarah's miraculously conceived Isaac. God supernaturally saves the life of Hagar and Ishmael. The, the angel of the Lord uh, prevents Abraham from sacrificing Isaac. Uh, Abraham's servant is supernaturally led to Rebekah. Rebekah supernaturally conceives twins. The Lord speaks to Rebekah concerning the destiny of the twins in her womb. The Lord appears to Isaac. The Lord appears to Isaac again. The Lord appears to Jacob. The Lord appears to Jacob, uh, commanding him to turn to Canaan. The angel of the Lord meets Jacob. Jacob wrestles with the angel of the Lord. God appears to Jacob uh, and blesses him. And again, this is Genesis. Just one Bro, through you haven't even made it. You haven't even made it to the, cl- the Moses cluster yet. And look no, at all I'm not even in Moses cluster. This is pre-Moses cluster. Man, if John MacArthur could agree that like those were legit miracles that don't count as part of the cluster, I, I'm kind of like, well, it, do you believe that stuff can still occur today since it didn't, since it wasn't part of the cluster? Do we still get the non-cluster stuff? Because that sounds pretty awesome right there. Angelic appearances, miracles, a dream to Abimelech. I mean, that sounds pretty awesome. And destroying cities multiple I times. I didn't even see. Did it? Did it include? Because in Genesis, there's also a healing of uh, of the wombs where Abraham prays for the wombs of. Uh, I can't. I, I can't remember if it's Abimelech or Ahimelech. Um, anyway, doesn't matter. So, um, I, I think that would be Genesis 20. Anyway, so let's keep reading. There's more. So this is. Uh, these are uh, these are between Moses and Joshua. Yep. Okay. So Judges chapter two, the angel of the Lord appears to all Israel. That sounds pretty sweet. Uh, Chapter three, the spirit of the Lord empowers Othniel to deliver Israel. Uh, Same chapter, Shamgar kills 600 Philistines with an ox goad. Uh, Chapter four, Deborah prophesies. Chapter six, angel of the Lord appears to Gideon. And the miracle with the fleece, also in chapter 6, chapter 7, sends a divine panic against Midian. Chapter 11, Spirit of the Lord comes on Jephthah to deliver Israel. 
13, the angel of the Lord appears to Manoah. Uh, that's Samson's old man. Samson uh, has a whole bunch of supernatural stuff in chapters 14 through 16. Then we get first Samuel. Hannah supernaturally conceives. The Lord, chapter three, the Lord appears to Samuel the first time. <laughs> also, then chapter three again appears again. Oh, and doesn't let any of Samuel's words fall to the ground. But according to John MacArthur, that's not even in the prophetic era. And yet all of his words were accurate. That's pretty stunning. Side note, uh, for him to say that none of Samuel's words fell to the ground suggests that words of other prophets weren't always right and that uh, that, uh, that you could miss a prophecy. Uh, that's a whole subject for another day. More to unpack there. Chapter 5, destruction of idol Dagon. Um, chap, uh, the Lord strikes the Philistines with tumors. The Lord kills some of the men of Beth Shemesh. Samuel's prophetic ministry to Saul. Saul is chosen by uh, to be king over Israel. Um, Spirit of the Lord empowers Saul to deliver Israel. Samuel's prophetic ministry to David. Spirit of the Lord comes on David. Um, the Spirit of the Lord comes on Saul's messengers and they prophesy. Looks like we didn't even include the exorcism, if you want to call it that, uh, of Saul by David. David, yeah. Uh, chapter 19, Spirit of the Lord comes on Saul and he prophesies. That one's hilarious. Saul prophesies naked. Weird story. Chapter 19, read it. Uh, the Lord repeatedly gives supernatural guidance to David. Uh, Samuel appears uh, from the dead to Saul. Dude, we're just in 1 Samuel. We have the same kind of list in 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, and then you get to the prophets. <laughs> Josh, I love what you wrote in the note. I just got lazy. Second. I was like, Zechariah, the whole book. The whole book. Oh. Malachi, the whole book. Guys, it's it's so much work to record all these miracles that like our our typing fingers get exhausted. Like it's it's basically the whole Old Testament. Uh, Josh Miller, any, anything to kind of add into there? <laughs> I mean, like, look at, okay, so to, to mention this, okay, so Noah, Noah was swallowed by a great fish, <clears throat> went and prophesied, you know, a group of people repented, supernatural miracle, Zechariah, the whole book is a vision of heaven and like things that are going on in the throne room, eschatological stuff is going on there, Malachi, Haggai, Obadiah, Amos, Joel, Nahum, Micah, the whole book of Daniel, I mean, we're talking about serious prophetic eschatological levels of revelation again not happening during the life of moses not elijah and elisha and, and in between until jesus and the disciples come on the scene so again if we even conceded that there was a period of time where miracles didn't happen well sure there were moments where gifts seemed to die off miracles seemed to die off but it seems to be because of israel's rebellion and hardness of heart and apostasy but but throughout every period every book of the bible you can't flip to a page and try not to find something supernatural you have entire books during this dark period that are just completely dedicated to prophecy and the revelation of god to his people and then jesus and the disciples show up on the scene and you're going to tell me that there are these moments like okay only in three moments in redemptive history were there really miracles was there really prophecy was there really revelation that's being given and it was only to attest that these things were scripture no, Jeremiah says throughout all of these periods from the time of Moses all the way to today, you've been making yourself known to your covenant people. And I think that the same is true today. Uh, it's not to say that God was the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what that means is that in yesterday, there was only a few yesterdays that God showed up. 
and then in today, uh, there are we are in one of those days that God didn't show up, and then maybe one day in the future, you know, at the very end, there will be some miraculous stuff that happens again. No, it's actually to say He's been the same yesterday, for and uh, yesterday, today, and forever. He's been the same, meaning in both Old and New Testament, throughout these periods of redemptive history, God has always been putting Himself on display before His people and destroying the works of the devil. I I got nothing. I don't know why people are using this argument. It's just about as bad as the idea that 1 Corinthians 13 is completely about the full canon of scripture coming and that's the perfect. Like it's just, it's a bad argument. All you have to do is look at the yeah. source material. You can't prove this. There's yeah. no way. Uh, so at the top of the show, I was going to kind of, so you have John MacArthur's three periods of miracles. Tom Schreiner seems to allow for more and he's uh, like a, it's the modified clustered argument. I want to read this and kind of catch y'all's thoughts on it. Um, he says, I believe God gave gifts and miracles, signs and wonders in remarkable ways at certain points in redemptive history to authenticate his revelation. However, miracles aren't limited to such high points in redemptive history as any careful reading of the Old Testament shows. So I can picture Shriner saying, yeah, I agree. All that stuff happened, but it still seems to be clustered in certain periods. He says, but they're clustered at central areas in the scriptures. What would you guys say uh, in response to Shriner? I mean, I would start with his premise being wrong, that it's to authenticate or validate revelation. Because the problem is, is the scripture, the very revelation that he's saying needs to be authenticated by signs, wonders, miraculous gifts, are the very ones that tell us tons of other reasons for why God does those things. And not a single one of them is about validating the writing of the scriptures. And that's, that's a huge issue, right? So his premise in and of itself is invalid by the very word he's claiming. I mean, there's a level of irony here, um, but you won't find a single verse of scripture that says these signs and wonders were given to authenticate the writings of the scriptures or authenticate revelation. That's not, that's not in there, but what is in there are tons of other reasons for why those miraculous gifts are given, uh, which are worth taking a look at. And I, I did a little survey uh, in the show notes as we got into this, just from uh, the book that I've been going through with my church out of Deuteronomy. When you look at just Deuteronomy alone, why God keeps pointing out, hey, remember these things that I did? Uh, you won't find it once being about the revelation that God was giving Moses, which is the Ten Commandments. Uh, you, you won't find it about that. What do you guys think? Okay. Uh, Josh, what about you? What do I think about these periods okay. of redemptive history? Uh, well, I was going to let you respond to the, the um, quote, the, the Schreiner quote. Mm -hmm. I mean, what do I, I mean, I, yeah. I think that uh, again, I, I think we've stated already that the premise is bad. Like Elijah and Elisha didn't write scripture. What was the point of saying that these miracles clustered in that period? I don't think it follows. Well, no, no, no. We're saying that the premise is not actually the cluster. He said the premise that he's building the cluster argument off of is that the signs and wonders were given to authenticate the writing of the scriptures. And that's what I'm disagreeing with. Uh, I'm also disagreeing no with verse the cluster argument. No but there's not a single that. verse that says it. Yeah. But verses give other reasons for why God gave uh, scripture. So Deuteronomy 6, the signs he did in Egypt were in order to deliver God's people. So if God's people ever still need deliverance, that seems like that could still apply. Um, and we see numerous examples of that in the book of Acts that are attributed to God's miracle working power. 
Um, oh, numerous and, examples today. Uh, read Brother Young's The Heavenly Man, how he was released from a prison in communist China for preaching the gospel. Uh, these kind of things are happening all over the world today. They are happening all uh, over the world. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Deuteronomy 7, it proves the character of God. He says, it's not because you were nor numer more numerous than all the other peoples that the Lord favored and chose you. You were the least in number. Rather, it's because of his love for you and his faithfulness, the promises he solemnly vowed to your ancestors that the Lord brought. Uh, that it's for that reason that he brought you out with great power, redeeming you from the place of slavery. Wait, it wasn't to validate the Bible? No, it was actually because he loves you and he's faithful. Does he still love you? Yeah. Is he still faithful? If those reasons still apply, then it seems like uh, we should still be able to expect him to move in power. Um, another one from Deuteronomy 7. Uh, yeah, just a few verses later. If you obey all, these all of this is Deuteronomy. <laughs> yeah. Miller, you put these verses in with Deuteronomy. You want to just kind of summarize yeah, those? He's preaching through them. What? Yeah, it, it just this is what was fresh in my mind because I've been going systematically through the, the book of Deuteronomy it's, um, just for my church. That's what I've been teaching. And I just thought it was interesting because the, the cluster that they're using happens to be during Moses. And they're saying that that cluster of miracles was to prove the scriptures. But you won't find in that cluster of miracles, in those scriptures, the reason they're claiming they're done for. But you will find all of these other reasons, like one of them we just mentioned was prove the character of God. Like he loved Abraham. He's going to be faithful to fulfill his promise to Abraham. Um, and so then you've got a number of others. So I, I think the second example, third example Gabriel, is that God will keep Israel healthy, pr uh, productive when it comes to childbearing and free from sickness. Now, this is actually talking about in the promised land. Like he's going to do this. So Deuteronomy 7, 12 through 15, he says, If you obey these ordinances and are careful to do them, the Lord your God will faithfully keep the covenant which He, which with you as he promised your ancestors. He will love and bless you and make you numerous. He will bless you with many children, with the produce of your soil, your grain, your new wine, your olive oil, the offspring of your oxen, and the young flocks in the land that promised your ancestors to give you. You will be blessed. Blessed beyond all peoples, there will be no barrenness among you. This is in key thing. None, no barrenness among you or your livestock, which is just funny. Uh, and the Lord will protect you from all sickness, and you will not experience any of the terrible diseases that you knew in Egypt. Instead, he will inflict those on those who hate you, which is kind of a great little comparison because it's showing that God's covenant with Israel will come with supernatural provision, supernatural health. Um, and he'll do all of these things as opposed to what he's going to do to the enemy, which is, again, showing that, that there's a behind this. It's not explicitly stated. It's sort of the, the subtext of Deuteronomy to show that Yahweh is more powerful than the gods of the Canaanites. You think of Baal as the one who's supposed to bring the rain that gives the, uh, the two seasons in Israel, and yet he would take a, a slumber for six months out of the year. And so during that, they were less, the, the Canaanites were left to the lesser gods, and yet you find that God doesn't sleep, that he gives rain all year long, whenever he wants. Um, and so there's just a number of like polemical things that are behind the scenes. So yet another reason why God does these supernatural things with Israel, supernatural provision, uh, a lack of barrenness, uh, none of them will ever get sick. It's again to show his superiority and uh, it's as a motivation to keep people faithful to the covenant, which begs the question today. Is there a potential that maybe God does miraculous works to keep us faithful? If that's a reason that he did it back then, why not so today? I mean, do you know of a time that the land that we live in today hasn't become 
I mean, I don't know. This is, this is a tricky argument, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Um, I, d- I don't know of a time where Christians are more tempted today to leave their faith and, and a cultural narrative that is incredibly enticing and appealing um, than the days we're living in right now. Um, and not to say that I personally have any appeal to it, but I wonder, I mean, is it possible that the miraculous are actually meant to keep us faithful even today? I lost you guys. That's well, that's one that I'm hard I have a, I'm hard pressed to respond to because you know the the work of you know regeneration is a work of the spirit but it is not what we are typically calling a charismata. So like the changing of our desires and our heart to love what is good and to hate what is evil. He uses means to do that and certainly I think that God um, can use supernatural you know uh, manifestations of the spirit. Uh, in such a way to draw that confidence out of us potentially. Um, but I don't know that I would say that it's also necessary. Um, I didn't say necessary. I just yeah. said it is a means meant to keep us faithful. Sure. Not it could required be to keep us faithful. Potentially. Sure, sure, sure. Michael, what yeah. are you over there researching? Um, well, I was trying to look up what, which verse was it that says that in the Old Testament, Miller, that, that, that God performed miracles for that purpose? Uh, well, it's in the context of them being faithful to the covenant. So it's Deuteronomy 7, 12 through 15. Yeah. Well, that sounds like God's faithfulness to the covenant with them. So it doesn't sound like the miracles were meant to keep them faithful, but rather uh, in in context, God being faithful to his own covenant. Right? Uh, I would actually, I would appeal otherwise, but I, maybe it's, I'm using the wrong passage of scripture. I think it could also be, uh, oh, um, yeah, actually, I am. Uh, Deuteronomy 11, 1 through 7. Sorry, when he says in there, in Deuteronomy at the very beginning, I think it's verse 2, it says, Bear in mind today that I'm not speaking to your children who have not personally experienced the judgments of the Lord your God, which revealed in great strength and power. So he then goes on to talk about the signs he did in Egypt. Um, he says that bear in mind is in the, the other word in the um, Septuagint is rendered learn the lesson. Mm-hmm. The lesson that was well, taught in Egypt when he did these signs and wonders. And, and the intention is that you must love the Lord your God. So he quotes the Shema uh, out of Deuteronomy 6, that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and keep his statutes. And then he draws on the power that he did in Egypt. Yeah, I mean, so I, would, I would count it as an inference, but we have loads and loads of miracles in the New Testament sure. where people come to faith as a result of a miracle. So why couldn't seeing a miracle inspire faith or continuing faith. I think that certainly could apply. And it sounds like it certainly builds you up. In Deuteronomy 11, when he's saying, bear in mind the lesson of these miracles, God, you're, I think your point is that God performs miracles to teach a lesson, a faith lesson, so that we will continue walking with God, having seen these miracles. And I, I think your point is like, why couldn't God do that same thing today? But either way, like, it definitely doesn't say God did the miracles so that people so that he could authenticate the uh, authors of the Bible. It definitely doesn't say that. And that's what cessationists seem to claim uh, the miracles were given for. Um, and so it definitely doesn't say that. And, and then if we want to pull the New Testament into, there are lots of other reasons. I mean, uh, Matthew 9, Jesus healed because he had compassion. Let me ask you, does God still have compassion today? If compassion motivated him to heal then in massive ways, 
why wouldn't compassionate of it? Like, is he less compassionate than he was? Um, it doesn't say to authenticate his, uh, to, in that case, it doesn't say that it was to authenticate his message. Uh, I, I do think that he did miracles to authenticate his message as well, but it doesn't say that right there. It says it was for his compassion. Or take Acts chapter four. Cessationists think it's wrong, or I would say some cessationists think it's wrong to pray to God for signs and wonders because they will quote the story of the Pharisees. So it's like a wicked and adulterous generation craves a sign. Instead, you get the sign of Jonah, which is Jesus in the tomb for three days. Um, and so they say, at least some cessationists, not all, they say you can't ask for a sign. You can't ask for a miracle. Um, you can't, you can't pray for signs and wonders. Most cessations will at least be uncomfortable with that prayer. Um, but then the apostles prayed in Acts chapter four. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness as you stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So they're actually asking him to perform signs and wonders. The difference is the Pharisees asked in unbelief. They crossed their arms and said, prove yourself, God. They were testing God. The apostles were saying, not prove yourself to me, but prove yourself to them. It fits with the whole theme of Acts, that God gives power for the sake of witness. And so we have a direct statement. I mean, in the book of Acts, Acts 1.8, power for being witnesses. So there's a purpose for miracles that doesn't have anything to do with authenticating the you know apostles as trustworthy teachers of doctrine, as some will say. Uh, no, it's actually to, to just bear witness to Jesus and to the resurrection. Don't we still need that? Don't we still need uh, people to believe the message about Jesus? So it doesn't apply there. And then speaking of Acts, Acts chapter three, uh, the lame man is healed to glorify the name of your servant, Jesus. Um, why wouldn't God, does God not want to glorify his name anymore? I think he still does. And so these are, so compassion to glorify the name of Jesus, to spread the gospel. These are all stated reasons in the Bible for why God gives miracles. And they have nothing to do with what the, um, stationists are claiming that it has to do with uh, it has nothing to do with like making sure you know that I'm writing the right words in the Bible uh, so that argument and here's a here's another one that we didn't touch on the, the beginning because we said you know what would be the arguments for why there might not be miracles we mentioned okay sin we mentioned uh, unrepentance apostasy those kinds of things one of the things that we didn't mention was was that just the fact that they're not there doesn't mean they didn't happen which means they weren't recorded, right? So at the end of John's gospel, John says that Jesus did tons of miracles we didn't record. So many, in fact, that we'd fill all the libraries with all the books in all the world. So the idea that there are there are not miracles recorded in the scripture is like saying that there are prophecies that took place that we know took place that aren't recorded either. So I think that that you can, with with a reasonable amount of certainty, say that there were miraculous activity taking place throughout the Old Testament but much of it wasn't recorded, um, just like it was in the life of Jesus and the apostles. Um, anyway, guys, we're we're at the nine, we got nine minutes left to the show. We can wrap it a little bit early. We can take some live questions. Do y'all have anything that y'all want to add to this show before we wrap it up? I'm down for some Q&A. Yeah. If you guys have some questions in the live chat, just drop question below so that we can engage with it. Uh, try, if you can, to, in fact, ask a question and not a statement. That would be fantastic. Um, and we will, you know, pull those in. Just make sure, again, to write 
uh, question into the comment section and we'll pull your questions in. Uh, Miller, did you have anything that you wanted to add or solid comment that you want to respond to? Uh, yes, I think cessationism nullifies the word of God and thereby is sin. <laughs> I'll take it a step further than Roundtree will. Okay, so so here's here's what we do when we talk about sin, and it's important that we think about the Old Testament in this way too. Um, I think that there, the the Bible articulates like accidental sins even, um, and I I would understand this in the same as we would understand baptism, like. I believe baptism is for believers. Like I do. I think it's for believers. Believers' baptism is the way to go. Um, does that mean that I'm going to tell all my Presbyterian and Anglican brothers who baptize babies that they're in sin? Um, no. Well, yes. You know what I mean? So it's like, are we being disobedient to what's commanded in Scripture? Um, that's definitionally what is sin. But I think there are different things to like what we would call like a high-handed sin. Um, there's a level of perspicuity to certain issues. I think this is a second-tier issue. Um, if there was a church that's that said, hey, um, you know, LGBTQ stuff, we're going to ordain everybody. I would not, I would disassociate, disassociate disfellowship with any church that did that. A church that says, hey, we're going to be cessationist. We're still going to do evangelism together. We're still going to work with them. So like, even when you call it sin, I understand what you mean by it's, it's disobedience to God's word. But I also want to say that it's a different kind of disobedience. It's not, it's not in this area, I think, of perspicuity, like some high-handed sins are. Um, anyway, so I want to be a little gracious there. And, and make sure that we're not collapsing our first tier and second tier issues. Uh, yeah. uh, oh my gosh. I, I want to avoid, I don't like saying they're in sin for being cessationists, but um, I, I mean, really, I want to use language that promotes unity. I don't think that promotes unity. Uh, I have said they honor the traditions of man above the Bible. So that's a sin. Uh, so Miller, help me out over here. Well, man, I don't know. It's a tricky thing. The thing is, it's not just that they, that they honor the word of God. Interpretation of that Miller. Oh no, am I losing the connection? Miller. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Y'all are both looking pretty rough. Yeah. Uh, but I like what you said, Josh, about doing theological triage. Uh, I think we want to be careful. I mean, we're passionate about this issue, but it is second tier. We're not talking about the Trinity or justification by faith. We're talking about spiritual gifts. They matter. They're important. Uh, they're significant. Um, I just, I'm not going to use the language of sin. Maybe I'm beating around the bush. Well, I think cessationist the bush to be nice, but I think I think uh, cessationist would call what we're doing sin. No, I think. I mean, I think cessationist would for sure say, "Hey, you're getting up and you're saying, hey, this is a prophetic word. That's sin. You're adding to God's word. They because of the categories that they have, they would call this sin without without hesitating. Um, And and you know, hey, a female pastor, if you are a complementarian, do you think that this violates the word of God? to have egalitarians getting up and preach, you know, if we're going to, if we're going to say, define sin as violating God's law, God violating God's written commandments in scripture, then, then yes. Right. Um, but, but that's not how we're, we're, we're articulating this in terms of like, God is for sure judging our broken anthropology. And at some level, we're not going to get everything right. And there's this area of, um, orthodoxy that we're going to hang out within. Uh, so, so yeah, I have friends that they would say, yeah, Josh, I think you're in sin, but I'm not going to break fellowship with you on this issue. And I know that's kind of hard for people to comprehend. 
But that really just gets down to brass tacks when you're defining what sin is. If sin is disobedience and the Bible commands you not to forbid speaking in tongues and the Bible commands you to earnestly desire spiritual gifts and you're going to say, I will not do that. You know, if you're, if you're going to have a definition of sin that's breaking God's law, it's like, well, you're kind of breaking the commandment of God. So it's kind of a hard for this, for the continuations to be consistent and the cessations to be consistent it's hard to not define that as sin. Like for them to say, you're making your words equal to the scriptures because of the categories they have, it makes sense why they're calling what we're doing sin as well. I think what we really see though throughout the body of Christ is again, the complementarian and the egalitarian can lock arms and say this is a second tier issue. The cessationist and continuationist can lock arms and say this is a second tier issue. It's 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 depending on how you're defining what sin is. And that's a difficult thing. So um, I think that we yeah. extend grace and my cessationist brothers more often than not uh, you know, extend grace to me as well. So uh, I think that, that, like you said, Michael, we want to be charitable and we want to, we want to strive for unity on this. All right, fine. I, I, <laughs> now, now I got, now I got, I think that yeah. might as well end this broadcast. <laughs> yeah, you guys are, y'all are having a rough time. Okay, so I'm gonna wrap it up. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, there was a question about the stigmata. The hell just answer BJ later. Are we ever gonna do an episode on the stigmata? We should, it'd be fun. Uh, anyways, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Remnant Radio. We had uh, a fun program for you today. Uh, if you want to support the channel, hit the um, uh, PayPal link or the Patreon link. Make sure to subscribe. If you're out there, you need to really join our newsletter because we've got a lot of exciting stuff coming out, like a new conference. And we've got an early bird registration for that conference. I'm going to release information about that on Monday. But of course, if you're on Patreon or maybe you've taken one of our courses, we've already sent you an email. So you've already got access to it right now that's kind of a sneak peek if you want to get access to the conference early you should get on patreon anyway guys blessings thank you so much for tuning into this episode of remnant radio and we will see you next monday from 4 to 5 p.m central standard time want to thank kairos classrooms for sponsoring this episode of remnant radio and if you're out there you've ever wondered hey i wonder if learning a biblical language would be a supplemental tool for me to help me in my biblical studies well you need to check out kairos classrooms they offer greek and hebrew classes that can help teach you and train you it's a live classroom environment with actual students and actual live teachers and they help teach you the biblical languages of greek in Hebrew. And you need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. There's a link in the description and you can use the promo code REMNANT to get 10% off. These classes are already crazy affordable, but with the promo code REMNANT, R-E-M-N-A-N-T, you'll get 10% off of Kairos Classrooms. So check that out today. And thank you so much for Kairos for sponsoring this episode of REMNANT Radio.